everyone. Welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian. I pastor that location, and it's good to talk to you again. If you're someone that's followed Jesus with your life for any length of time, then my guess is you've had the experience of asking God to do something and God not working within the time frame that you expected or think he should work. We're going to look today at a woman who had a very specific request for Jesus. And when Jesus did not answer that request the way she wanted him to, she got very discouraged. Even in the midst of her discouragement, she learned an important truth about who Jesus is. We're going to talk about that today. So I hope you listen closely, and I hope you enjoy this, because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. We're going to be in John chapter 11 this morning, so if you have a Bible with you, there's some under the seats uh, where you're sitting, Uh, you grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 11, open up the app on your phone or iPad or whatever you have. Uh, The words will also be on the screen in a moment, but I'd encourage you, it's a little bit of a longer story this morning, we're going to walk through it. Uh, If you want to grab a paper copy, I like to have paper in front of me, I don't know about you, and so maybe you'd want to open that book up uh, to John chapter 11, you can follow along as we go. Also, I'll mention this right off the top, so if you're a person that likes to take notes, I know some of you like to take notes, Uh, some of you are typing things into your phone and I'm telling myself you're taking notes, so if if you like to take notes uh, during the sermon, we're going to... Uh, go through three points, but those three points are going to combine to make one, uh, one long sentence. And so as you take notes, you make this sentence throughout the whole sermon, and that will be our big point this morning. There's a mistake that I've made in life, and I don't know if you've made this mistake before, but my guess is uh, that you have at some point made this mistake. I've certainly uh, made it. Maybe you have as well. I have made the mistake, and I'm proud to admit it, but I have made the mistake of seeing someone from a distance or hearing something about somebody or watching a person go through something and how they react and thinking that I know who that person is and I know what they're like and I know their personality and whether or not we would get along. Have you ever made that mistake? You ever watched someone from a distance and seen them react or just looked at them and thought in your head, I I know that person, I know what they're like, I know what they think, and then you draw all of these conclusions. I've made that mistake before. My guess is that you have made it too. I remember when I was in middle school, we went to middle school when we were in seventh grade uh, where I grew up, and so when we moved into middle school in seventh grade, uh, there, it was a larger school, I think. There was about a 1,000 students in that school, so a number of us came together from other elementary schools for the first time, and we all kind of found our groups over the months. You know how that works. I was in things like choir and, and orchestra, so I was in like the cool popular group, and then there were other groups, right? There were other groups. And one of, the, one of the people that wasn't really in my group was this guy, uh, his name was Bobby. And uh, I just kind of assumed as I watched Bobby, we ended up being in a lot of different classes together, but I always assumed he was a lot more outgoing than I was, a lot more talkative. People seemed to really like him, and I was quiet and shy and played the violin and sang. Uh, it's true. And so, uh, and so I, we didn't really, you know, I, I just thought I knew this guy, and he was too good for me, and we probably wouldn't get along. We probably didn't have a lot in common. And that's how it was for seventh grade and eighth grade, and then we went to high school and ninth grade and tenth grade. And it wasn't until halfway through our junior year 
that I had lived this narrative in my mind that, that he, he and I would never really click or, get, or, or like each other. And I had also created in this narrative that he really didn't like me, that he was looking down on me or thought that I was less than him. And halfway through our junior year, we ended up at the exact same event. And we started talking. We'd never talked before. And it turned out that we liked uh, pretty much all the same things. We liked the same music. Toad the Wet Sprocket, Counting Crows, that kind of sort of stuff. It's like put myself in, an, in a time period. Uh, we liked the same type of music. We, we, we had laughed at the same jokes. And I created this narrative where he didn't really like me. And the reality was that he really hadn't noticed that we had been in all these classes for 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, and 10th grade because I was the kid that sat in the corner and didn't say anything to anybody. And here I had this whole narrative about who he was and who he thought I was, and I found out years later that it wasn't true. And we became best friends, junior year of high school, senior year, roommates in college, stood in each other's weddings. And sometimes I look back at that and I wonder, what, what, what was lost because I had made all these assumptions without ever talking to him? And maybe you've done the same thing. Now, I can tell you this. It drives us crazy when people do this, about, uh, do this to us, right? When someone assumes something about you, and the only reason they're assuming it is because they saw you from a distance or they heard something about you, or someone told them a story about what you did one time, or they knew you way back when, before, when you were a different person, and now they think they know you today, nothing drives us more crazy than when people draw assumptions about who we are without talking to us, right? We want people to come and talk to us. If you think you know something about me, why don't you actually come and talk to me about it? Don't talk to my friends or talk to my family. Don't talk to these other people that don't know me. Come and talk to me about it, and I will tell you whether or not it's true. That's what we want people to do with us. We make the mistake of doing it to other people. It drives us crazy when people do it to us, but you know, I think for many of us, we draw our biggest conclusions about who Jesus Christ is without letting him speak for himself. You see, it, we make that mistake in life and we realize it's a mistake and it drives us crazy when people do it to us. But I think for many of us, we think we know who Jesus is and we've drawn that conclusion because we went to church one time as a kid or because we watched the documentary on the Discovery Channel or we heard other people talk about church and Christians. And so we draw all these conclusions about who Jesus is without letting Jesus speak for himself and let him tell us who he is. If you're like me, you've been uh, pretty enthralled over the last few weeks with the cave rescue in Thailand. Has anyone else been paying attention uh, to this? And how amazing was it that all 12 uh, soccer players, all 12 young boys and their coach were brought out of that cave alive? It's pretty incredible, the story and the, the sacrifice that, was, that people were willing to go through in order to make that happen, including, you know, one uh, Thai Navy SEAL diver gave his life for that rescue. And so I've been watching this whole thing and watching these 13 people uh, who were facing certain death in the back of a cave come out and emerge out of the cave alive. And I'm telling you, today, we're actually going to talk about a cave rescue that Jesus did, where there was a man in the back of a cave facing certain death, and Jesus brings him out alive. It's the story of a man named Lazarus. And as we look through this story in John chapter 11, we're going to pay attention to one particular person who's a big part of the story, but is so wrapped up in who she thinks Jesus is, 
who she's already determined Jesus is, that she can't see exactly what Jesus is saying to her in the present. We're going to ask what that matters for our life as well. So take a look here at John chapter 11, and we'll work through this story a little bit uh, together. There's a lot going on. So as we read, maybe I'll stop and make a comment or two, just so we all stay on the same page. Now, John writes, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that's Jesus, they sent a note to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Now that doesn't make much sense, does it? Look at those verses back to back. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. That doesn't sound right. If Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, if he heard that Lazarus was ill, what would you expect him to do? You expect him to go. But he doesn't. He stays for two days. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Then after he said this to the disciples, he said, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? So if you remember last week, chapter 10, Jesus angered some people in Judea. They were looking to kill him. And now he's saying, let's go back there. And the disciples are saying, are you crazy? They just tried to kill you there. So Jesus answers, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, that's the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that, that he meant taking rest in sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So you can picture the scene a little bit with me, right? Jesus is with his disciples. He gets word that Lazarus has fallen ill. And who knows how long it took for that word to get to Jesus. So Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha, they didn't DM his Instagram feed, right? They, they sent a note somehow, Camel Express, in some way. They get word to Jesus that Lazarus, their brother, is ill. And so Lazarus, Jesus finds this out a day late, two days late. I don't know how long it would have taken to get the note. But you would think that if he was concerned about this, the thing that Jesus would do was immediately go 
and find his friend Lazarus, who, who has been sick for a number of days now and is very ill. But Jesus waits two days. And he says to his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. We're going to go wake him up. And the disciples say, well, if he's only fallen asleep, you must recover. And he'll recover. And Jesus, who probably was exasperated with his disciples, trying to be coy, trying to say something, uh, said, had to say plainly, Lazarus is dead. But I'm glad this has happened because this is for you to believe. He gets there to Bethany, Lazarus' home, and Martha, the sister, comes running out. And looks at Jesus and says, basically, where have you been? Where have you been? We sent word to you a number of days ago. Where have you been? If you had been there, Lazarus would not, if you'd been here, Lazarus would not have died. See, Martha's in this place, right? Where all she can think about is what God could have done, but he didn't in her life. You ever been in that place? Martha knows, she believes that if Jesus had come while Lazarus was ill, that he would have recovered, that Jesus could have healed him. And when Jesus finally shows up a few days late in her mind, she's so bent out of shape that Jesus, that Jesus didn't come earlier that he didn't come and do the work that she wanted him to do, that she's not ready to figure out why Jesus is there now. And see, I think that this happens to us, many of us. I think that sometimes we get very frustrated and hung up on the work in our lives we hope God will do, and he doesn't. So much so that we can't stop thinking about it. In fact, there are, are plenty of folks that we could go to that they've walked away from this whole thing because of this. That at one point they believed, at one point they wanted to follow Jesus with their life, but they've walked away from the whole thing because they went to God and they asked him to do something. They asked him to heal. They asked him to provide. They asked him to do the work. They asked him to take away the loneliness. They asked him to, to bring, bring something good into their life. They asked him to heal the relationship and Jesus didn't do it. And they just couldn't stop thinking about it. Why would he not have done that? Jesus, why would you not have shown up here a number of days ago? You love us. If you love us, why did you stay for two extra days? Where have you been? Why aren't you doing the work that I asked you to do? And sometimes in our, in our life with Jesus, we become like, like spiritual toddlers, so hung up on what we're not getting that we're not able to pay attention to what God might be ready to do in our lives. Have you ever been with a young child? And perhaps you're, you're going somewhere good. Like, let's say you're taking your child or you're taking a child to Chuck E. Cheese. I can tell you that for my children, that is like heaven on earth. That would be the place. So we're going to Chuck E. Cheese. And you have to stop at the store on the way to Chuck E. Cheese. And as you're in the store getting whatever it is that you have to get, headed to Chuck E. Cheese, headed to paradise, you go through the checkout line and there is the candy. And your, uh, the child that's with you says, I want candy. And you say, no, we're not getting candy. We're going to Chuck E. Cheese. What happens? I don't know. Uh, in my world, I'll tell you what happens. You're probably better at this than I am. But in my world, uh, it's Meltdown City. So uh, they don't get the candy. 
And all of a sudden, there's, there's, there's very, we're very upset about not getting the candy. There's screaming, there's crying, there's throwing ourselves on the floor, all of those sorts of things. And what you're saying to the child is, listen, I'm saying no to the candy, but we are going to Chuck E. Cheese. So you're not getting candy now, but I, there's something so much better awaiting you. But they can't, get, they can't get past the thing that they're not getting right now. And I think for us in our life, in our walk with Jesus Christ, we can find ourselves stuck in that place, can't we? Where we're so bent out of shape that God did not do something in our past that we can't think about anything else. And when Jesus walks into town, that's where Martha is. So frustrated that Jesus didn't come a few days earlier. Fully believing that God could have healed her brother if he just would have shown up. And here's the first part of that sentence we're building this morning. First part of that sentence, the first line is this. If, you're, if your understanding of Jesus is stuck in what he could have done, we'll finish that sentence in a moment. But some of us get stuck in this place, and maybe this is you this morning. You get stuck in that place where you're so frustrated that Jesus didn't move, that he didn't answer the prayer. It's hard to think about anything else. Well, it turns out that Jesus has come for a very particular reason. (laughs) It also turns out that delay from God does not equal denial. Some of us think that if God delays a response or delays an answer, that that means complete denial of what we're looking for him to do or asking him to do in life. But it turns out that's not what it means at all. In verse 22, this is what happens. So Martha has said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know I know that, the last, that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So Jesus and Martha have this interaction. And Jesus says, your brother is going to rise again. You're frustrated I wasn't here, but don't be frustrated. Your brother is going to rise again. And Martha says, I know one day when we all get to heaven, clouds and angels and halos and harps, I know one day Lazarus will rise again. And Jesus looks at her and says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, I believe. So when she had said this in verse 28, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's stuck in the same place as Martha. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And what does Martha say? The one who truly believes now? Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't we just have this conversation? Didn't we just go through this? You said, uh, you said he was right the last day. I said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you remember this conversation, Martha? That's what he says. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Here's the other place where Martha is. Martha was stuck in what Jesus could have done and he didn't. But she was also stuck where all she could think about was what Jesus was going to do. She was stuck in in what God could do and what Jesus was going to do. And now the thing that she knows Jesus is going to do, she says, I know my brother will rise again on the last day. That's true. That's not a false statement. She's not stuck on something that's false. She's stuck on something that's true. That ultimately those who trust in Jesus Christ will will live in eternity with him. That's a true statement. And that brings great hope and brings great life. The line that Jesus says there, that anyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's one of the greatest truths of the Christian faith. That if we follow Jesus Christ, though we die on this earth, we will live. That is true. And it gives us great hope. I was reminded again this week that those who do not have this truth of the future live without hope. There was a, there's a documentary that's coming out uh, very soon about Ted Williams, the great Boston Red Sox player. And if you know about the life of Ted Williams, one of the things that is true about Ted Williams is that he was uh, very afraid of death. And so upon his death, in accordance with his will, his head was cryogenically frozen because he hoped one day that uh, there would be enough technology that they could unfreeze him and that he would live again. He's not the only person to think that way. Many of you know who Larry King is, the uh, commentator on CNN, hosted his own talk show for many years. Uh, He still hosts his own talk show. He's in his 80s now. I believe that it's online. Larry King also, in his will, has it stipulated that his body will be frozen upon his death. And he has over and over again throughout his life, in interview after interview after interview, talked about how afraid he is of dying. And when he was asked in the New York Times just a couple of years ago on being frozen after his death, he said, it's nuts, but others have no hope. It's nuts that I would want to be frozen, but others have no hope. And I would say to Larry King, absolutely not. We have ultimate hope. In Jesus Christ. Because even though we die, yet shall we live. Now that's true. And Martha, though, had had cognitively assented to this idea that one day they would live in eternity with Jesus. But she was so focused on what Jesus could have done and didn't do. And so focused on what was true but what hadn't happened yet that Martha was missing what Jesus was ready to do and there to do right now in the present. And I don't know about you, for me personally, I I have an easier time with the things that God could have done and doesn't, for whatever reason. It's just the way I'm wired. I have an easier time with that. But I'm the kind of person that can get all caught up in truth about God. I love thinking about it. I love reasoning through it. I love studying it. 
And it becomes this this knowledge-based thing that I know is true in my head, and I know one day I'm going to find out all the details of, but that I can get so caught up in that place that I miss what Jesus is there to do in the present. And either one of those things can distract us from the reason Jesus is in front of us right now, today. Because as it turns out, Jesus had come to Bethany for a very specific reason. And his weight, his weight was not because he didn't love Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. His weight was so that the ultimate glory of God could be revealed. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. He was definitely gone. He wasn't mostly dead. He was gone. And so there could be no wondering about what Jesus was just about to do. And in verse 41, this is what happens. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Martha was so concerned about what Jesus could have done in the present, in the past and didn't. She was so wrapped up in what was going to happen in the future that she missed that Jesus was standing right in front of her about to raise her brother from the dead. That her brother that was stuck dead in the back of the cave for four days was about to come walking out alive. And all of a sudden, when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, Jesus told his disciples ahead of this big event that he was glad it happened because it would be to their benefit that after this, they would truly believe. And certainly, all those who were standing around that day, Mary, Martha, definitely Lazarus, the disciples, and all those people around, when they saw what Jesus did there in the present, they believed. If I was going to say it to the under 30 crowd, I would say Lazarus woke and the disciples and everyone else got woke. That's how I would say it. Some of you understand that. If you understand it, it was for you. But everybody believes. Now, here's the problem that you and I have in our, world, in our life today. And I'm going to invite our worship team forward as they, we prepare to close. Here's the problem you and I have. It is so hard for us today to be present and in the moment, isn't it? There are so many amazing things that happen in our world and in our life. And we miss them because it's so hard for us to be present. Because we carry around that phone with us and we carry around all these things with us that always make us aware of everything that's happening everywhere else. And it's so hard to be present in the moment, wherever we are. Just the other day, uh, Pastor Rick, who pastors our Burlington location, our senior pastor, he was telling me uh, a story that, that his family was in Rockport, which is a coastal town up on the North Shore, and they were out on one of the, the rock ledges there that's built up to create the harbor, and there was a pole. And on the pole, someone had written, put down your phone and look at the ocean. 
And Pastor Rick saw that, thought that sign was great. In fact, he thought it was so great that he showed me the picture that he took on his phone of the sign. It's hard for us to be present in today's world. So here's my question for you. What is it that Jesus wants to do in your life that's not happening because you're not present? What is the work that God is looking to do in you today that you may miss because you're not here in the moment? See, if you're all caught up on what Jesus could have done but didn't, and all you're thinking about is what he's going to do but hasn't done yet, you may just miss the thing that Jesus is here to do for you right now in the present. And I wonder for us how many times, because our minds are always someplace else, because we're thinking about what had happened and we're thinking about what's going to happen, that we miss the work that Jesus Christ wants to do in my life and your life right in the moment. There is work that Jesus can do that none of us can do on our own. Work that gets done by his Holy Spirit. Not because we read a book, not because we thought up some ideas, but work that gets done when we are in his presence that we cannot do on our own. And I wonder how many times we miss that work because we're not really here. And maybe you find yourself in this place. In your life with God, you're all caught up on what he could have done in the past and he didn't do and it bothers you and it sticks with you and it stops you from being able to encounter him right now in the present. And maybe you're kind of like me. You love to think about God and all that he's going to do and all that he is, but all of that thinking and all of that getting caught up in, in our minds and in our cognitive areas stops us from experiencing him right now in the present. I believe that God wants to do a work in your heart. It's a work that only he can do, but it'll only happen if you're present and allow him to do it. You know, sometimes in our service, we have these altar calls and sometimes in, these, in our service, we have these prayer times. And often when we offer prayer at the end of a service, I can tell you and you can tell me the same three people that are going to come. And I'm not trying to be mean in saying that, but it makes me wonder. Why don't more of us respond when it's time to pray? Why don't more of us respond when it's time to go into God's presence? Is it because we have nothing that we want to see God do in our life? I doubt that. Is it because we have no needs? We have nothing happening? I doubt that. I think it has something to do with the fact that many of us struggle to be present in the moment and believe that if we are, that God might do a work that we can't do on our own. So I'm asking you this morning as we close this service, will you be present? And at least open up the door and create the space for God to do something that you can't do on your own. Just invite you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes with me.
and invite you. If you're all frustrated over the things that God hasn't done in your life in the past, I invite you in this moment to put those aside and seek God right now. If you're all caught up on the things that God is going to do and the truths that you know about him, I invite you to take some time and come into the moment and be present here. As we close this morning, I'm going to invite some of our elders and leaders of the church, Justin and Lynn, are going to be up here. And Bill and Karen Sullivan will be up here. And I'd invite you, if you would, to come forward and ask them to pray with you. Bring whatever it is that you have, whatever's going on in your heart and in your life, bring that with you and ask them to pray with you. And if you're not in the position this morning where you want someone to pray with you, I invite you as we close and we sing these songs here to come and maybe just kneel at this altar and ask God to do a work right now in the present that you can't do on your own. Are you willing to create the space for that? God, I thank you for the truth that all of us are like Lazarus. We were dead in our sin. We were dead in our transgressions. We were dead and separated from you, and yet you came and sent Jesus Christ who raised us from the dead, who gives us new life. You are the God who can handle anything that's going on in our lives. You are the God who is in control of it all. And so, God, I pray right now by your spirit that as we come, and spend time in your presence that you would move. And God, that no amount of frustration in the past, no amount of pride in the moment would stop us from creating space for you to work this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m., and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MT Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.